This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the A podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside virtually Pat Williams of AHL.com. And we're joined by a special guest to start off today's show, head coach of the Rochester Americans, Seth Appert. He's in his third season as the head coach of the Rochester Americans, the AHL affiliate of the Buffalo Sabres. Before joining the Sabres organization in 2020, Appert spent three seasons with the U.S.'s national development program. Before that, he spent two decades as an NCAA coach, including 11 seasons as RPI as their head coach. This season, Appert's club is in the thick of the North Division race. And uh, yeah, we're just excited to have you, Seth. How's it going? It's good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, the first question I want to ask you is like, we just kind of touched on a bit, but your path from being in the NCAA ranks now into the pro development kind of scheme, like, what was the biggest adjustments from the get-go for you in doing that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think that the, the, the national program made it an easier adjustment to pro. Um, in college, it is a little bit different. Um, you know, you're, you're coaching, but you're, you're running a program and you're right. so busy with other things in college. You probably don't get to coach enough uh, because you're recruiting, you're fundraising. And it's smaller schools like RPI, you're running golf outings and banquets. And, you know, like it's um, those, those three and a half years at the national program, uh, I think, really honed me, uh, my coaching beliefs. Um, uh, you get to tinker at the national program because you practice so much. Uh, you have another coaching staff. I had John Robleski with me, Dan Hynotes, Nick Fors, the head coach now. Like, and, and it's really a hockey think tank, and you get so much time to tinker and practice, and you try things, and you see if it works. And if it works, great. You keep it. If it doesn't, it's okay because, uh, you know, you, you have another eight hours of practice that week. Um, so it's a, it was a pretty special place to be. Um, and then you're around elite talent. And in college, sometimes you can't be as hard or as demanding on your elite talent as you'd like to be because you have no control. There's no, you don't have any leverage. Um, a college player can leave at any second. They can leave and sign pro. They can leave and go major junior. So if you have those elite players, sometimes in college, you can, you might let them get away with more than you probably believe in as a coach. Um, and that's a hard balance in NCAA sometimes. Where at the national program, you get uh, very comfortable and accustomed to having difficult conversations with world-class players. Um, you know, I, I, I kid around. Kevin Adams asked me this in the interview process. And I said, I, I benched Jack Hughes. Uh, I, I, I think I'll be able to have, uh, you know, hard conversations with, with our elite prospects. So, um, and Jack Hughes laughs about it in the summers. He always yells at my daughters that, that I'm the only coach that benched him. So, um I think that the national program really helped prepare me for that adjustment. So, but further to that, the national program, you're dealing with elite talent that in a way they're not competing with each other, but they're all trying to get noticed. And in the AHL, you've got prospects that, you know, want to get reward to the big club. Is there a similarity there in terms of, of managing personnel? Yeah, I guess I would say they are competing with each other at the national program. I actually think that's what makes the national program special 
is that daily internal competition between Jake Sanderson and Brock Faber on who's right. the best defenseman in our country every single day. Uh, between Matty Beneers and, and you know, Thomas Bordalo, between Jack Hughes and Trevor Zegers. Trevor Zegers had to wake up every day and look in the mirror and try to go compete as hard as Jack Hughes was going to that day uh, and chase him down and try to close the gap between the two of them. And I think that internal competition drives people to be great. That's what you have in the American League, especially for Buffalo, because we have so many young prospects, right? So Quinner, Jack Quinn and J.J. Paterka – uh, had a lot of that last year. Um, and it's healthy. You got to make sure it's healthy as a coach. So For sure. you, you can't be against each other. It's just competing with each other. Um, you got to foster those great friendships and that camaraderie and that togetherness uh, that you're growing up in this together. Um, and you're competing with each other, not against each other. Um, and we've been fortunate when we've drafted really good young men that JJ and, and Jack are really close friends uh, that, you know, Yuri Kulik, Isak Rosine are really good friends, um, but but this top prospect competition is is very healthy and it fosters a lot of growth. Now uh, we've we've touched on this in the past, Seth, uh, but at this level too, you get a different element of personality too, right? Like you get players that have been kicked around this business that arrive with a lot of baggage. Um, you know, they're they're mid twenties sometimes. Uh, they're they're not big fans of the business anymore. How do you manage those personalities alongside those those young kind of 19, 20-year-old, you know, eager personalities? Well, number one, you want you're careful about who you sign. And I think that Kevin Adams and Jason Carmanos have done a fabulous job of uh, we want to sign people that want to be in Western New York and want to be part of the Sabres organization. We want to sign uh, what we call culture drivers, mm-hmm. where it's more important for us with our veterans that we have culture drivers and character than then how much skill they have or how many points they're going to score. Um, so that's number one. Um, I think then number two is from a coaching staff perspective, um, developing relationships with them. I think sometimes that those guys are guys, even though you have to spend an incredible amount of time with your prospects because they need the video, they need the habit work. They, they have so much to learn. You got to go out of your way as a coaching staff to create relationships with those guys, even though they might only be here for one year, half a season, whatever it is. Um, and we just traded for Austin Strand, who's now his third organization. He's played 25 NHL games. You know, that mm. that's kind of like you're talking about. Right. Um, you know, and, and I've made sure in the first couple of days that that I've had a lot of conversations with him and I've asked him about his family and where he comes from and where he played his youth hockey. And I do think that if you if the players know that you care about them, uh, you can have honest conversations and be demanding of them. Mm-hmm. So, and then I also think that what we try to do here is make the rank, the most fun place they come every day. That doesn't mean we don't work and we work our tails off here. We practice hard. We're in the weight room a lot. We put a lot of time in and, and we compete, but um, the, the rink I believe uh, should be the most fun place that they come every day. And if it is, I think you usually get good results uh, from that. Now, this is a league, too, where, you know, just when you think you have your roster intact and you, you, you kind of have the culture where you want it, you know, um, something comes and knocks it over. You know, you get call-ups, especially, you know, around this time of the year with the deadlines. How do you how do you maintain a certain level of consistency with that culture when you, you when you do have players coming and going? Yeah, that's that's it is interesting. And last year, I think prepared. Uh, all of us. I think we, we had 54 mm-hmm. players play for us last year. So 
Last year was insane. This year's been a little more normalized, you know, coming out of COVID and the Sabres have been, you know, relatively healthy. Um, but, but those are difficult things. I think fortunately, number one, it's my job to set the culture. Um, now our veterans have to live it. And if they don't live it, it doesn't translate down to the young guys. Um, but, but it is my job and our coaching staff and our sports staff's job to set the culture and who we are every day. The consistency of how I act every day is important. Um, that regardless of how good we played or poorly we played, what they see when they walk into the rink, um, and, and the way I interact with our support staff, our, our coaching staff, our players, uh, there needs to be uh, consistency uh, for to me. And I think if that's consistent, then that allows the players to be more consistent. Um, but I've been very fortunate. We've had a lot of roster fluctuation. I've been I've had a lot of Michael Mersh. I've had a lot of Sean Malone. I've had a lot of Ethan Prow. Um, and, and we have those are really, really special young men. Uh, very good hockey players, but but special, special young men um, that you feel really good as a coach, putting your head on the pillow at night, knowing that those are the leaders of, of your club. Yuri Kulich is a player that is, you know, in his draft year plus one year, seems like he hasn't skipped the beat from the European leagues as a young teenager. What have you made of his season so far? It's been incredibly impressive. I mean, he's 18 years old. Mm-hmm. we're not hiding him. We're not protecting him. There's a lot of nights right now. He leads our team in minutes uh, for forwards. Um, he's played center for, for, ha- you know, probably a third of the season as well as we right. had some, some injuries. So uh, it, it is just incredibly impressive what we throw on him. He accepts, he learns from his failure he learns from video and the meetings. And then he, he goes, applies it. Um, and it's not perfect. He's 18. Of course it isn't. Uh, but and, and then you add in the fact that he's in a different country, didn't speak the language all that great. So you're living on your own. It just it, the fact that he has life in order away from the rink is incredibly impressive at 18 years old. And if your life isn't, isn't in order away from the rink, you're not going to be as good at the rink. And his level of consistency, he shows up the same time every day. I don't have to yell at him. I had one meeting with him about habits and consistency. And that gets us get to the rink at the same time every day, have breakfast at the same time every day, go to the shooting room and work on your shot at the same time every day, build these consistencies into your routines. Um, at 18, that's hard to do. Um, it's hard to put the video game down and, and, and get to the rink on time or, or put it away and go to bed and get nine hours of sleep. And so all of the things have been incredibly impressive. Um, it, it's extremely rare to see the success 18 year olds, uh, that, that 18, an 18 year old can have. Um, and the beauty is he's just getting better by, by the week right now. Um, every week he is improving his game, both on the puck and off the puck. Um, and, uh, and I, I also give him credit. He's allowed me at times to be demand really hard on him, demanding of him, um, especially early. And there was one moment I, I did bring him in and I, I use Google translate to translate it in the check. Um, because he understands, but, but I thought it was at a point where I thought he needed to understand why I was being so hard on him, um, and why I'm being tough on his, his habits and, and the way he practices every day. Um, and, and I just thought that he needed to make, I wanted to make sure there wasn't any lost in communic in translation there. Isaac Rosen, another immensely talented player, all the skill in the world, but there's been bouts of, of kind of inconsistency throughout the year away from the pocket and other things you know what do you make of his sort of adjustment and sort of the 
adapting he's doing to this style of play. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Cooley's scoring at a better rate. Um, mm-hmm. You could easily argue that Rosine is is outplayed him since Christmas. Rosine's game has been fabulous post-World Juniors. Um, he is He's winning more puck battles. He's hunting the puck harder. Uh, he's getting engaged in the, in the hard areas that you need to get engaged in to be a good hockey player, and not just a skilled hockey player. Um, his growth this year has been really impressive because even though he's one year older, I think he had further to go uh, from from development camp to now, mm-hmm. right? Um, and he's from a Why smaller town. What's that? Why was that, Seth? Why, why uh, did he have further to go? Well, he had he had an injury last year, so so last year I I don't think was a great development year for him. He's in he's in the SHL a little bit. He's barely playing. He's playing six minutes, eight minutes. Right. He he has an injury. He misses an incredible amount of time. He's mm-hmm. from a small town. They take the ice out immediately in the off season. Uh, he just, he just didn't look um, at development camp. He he was behind some of the other prospects in terms of readiness to go play in the American Hockey League, and mm-hmm. and none of them are ready at eighteen and nineteen. He was behind the others though. Um, so he's come from that, and now he's you know in our top six. He's playing sixteen to eighteen minutes a night. Um, He's, he's competing hard. He's setting up plays. He's gained maturity to his game. Um, his game is more subtle than Kulik's. Uh, Yuri's game is very explosive. Uh, Rosie's game is, is more subtle. and But but his play since the World Juniors, both of their plays since the World Juniors has been excellent. I think the World Juniors was a little bit of an affirmation for both of them that what they were doing here was working. Cause you always don't get that reward in the American league because some nights you're just not scoring because it's such a good league and you're so mm-hmm. young. And then they both went and, and had excellent world juniors. And not, then that was kind of that moment. Okay. All the things we're doing there, it, it is working and it's paying off. Absolutely. Seth, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time and give you some insight on the next generation of Buffalo Sabres. It's an exciting time there in West New York, as you mentioned, and all the best, man. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again to Seth Appert for coming on. It's funny. I, I think if you look at the the roster on paper, and you know, given how young Buffalo is as an organization, I think my I'd be inclined to say, "Oh wow, it's going to be great to see other teams in the future," which is true. But they're also insane now too. Like the future is really bright in Buffalo, and we're seeing that now in the NHL. But again, in the AHL, there's still a lot of really valuable crops that are that are growing right now. Yeah, you know, it's funny, like, you know, Buffalo for the longest time was such a problem spot, right? And now it's it's starting to change Um, and it's changing fast. I think that's the thing that's maybe the most noticeable is is once it started to gain some momentum, right? Like, you know, we've seen this year, like, you know, now the team's, you know, in the playoff hunt and, you know, actually they made some moves at the trade deadline and it wasn't just, you know, dumping players, it was bringing players in, so... Um, there's a good crop down in Rochester still, even with Paterka and Quinn going up, uh, you still got Brandon Byro. Um, you've got some, uh, good young forwards, obviously with, uh, Rosine and Coolidge. So, um, if, yeah, I think if you're a Buffalo Sabres fan, I mean, it's been a rough go, <laughs> there's no question, but you are now starting to see some of the fruits of the, all those, uh, those tough years. Absolutely. Let's get to, uh, the paper transactions. So we were talking mm-hmm. about this before air. The NHL trade deadline has big ramifications for the AHL. And of course, that's, you know, that's a given with 
a lot of times players are, are moving from, you know, that are part of an AHL team are moving in an NHL deal. But there's also the paper transactions. So what that means is in order for a player to be eligible for the Calder Cup playoffs, they have to be assigned to the AHL roster as of 3 p.m. Eastern on Friday, which is the same um, cutoff as the trade deadline. Yes. These moves are called paper transactions because a lot of the times the move is a formality to comply with the eligibility rules and the player isn't actually being sent down. They'll be sent down and then recalled back up, you know, minutes later. So they don't even need to leave, right? Kind of like if you're playing NHL 23, call a guy up. Oops, I don't want to do that. Send him back down. Same mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. So that's why it's called a paper transaction. Mm-hmm. But there was a couple of notable names that were part of this sort of flurry of moves. Let's get to a couple of them. And the first one that I want to mention is Cole Sillinger. We were talking about this one off air too. 19 years old. He was dropped the 12th overall in the 2021 draft. He's never played in the AHL. He has 137 NHL games under his belt. And he's still with Columbus right now. So you're kind of seeing it. It's kind of a message in a way too, right? They're saying, hey, like you could be going down to Cleveland for a run and sure, development, whatever. But that does, that's probably not a good feeling for Sillinger. You know what? It's a little reminiscent. It's not exactly a, a precise analogy, but like Kyle Pulso, I remember. Um, you know, he had played a little bit his first season. He had played at some in Bridgeport and the and the New York Islanders, but that second season, it seemed like all right. He's firmly established as a NHL player. He played sixty five games that that year, and um they ended up i still remember it was a little bit of a controversy at the time they sent him down to bridgeport for the playoffs he played a couple games there and another player that was a first round pick um huge prospect at the time and um now the islanders in that time were a little bit ahead of their time in that in that sense but now um, you look at so cleveland's right in the the thick of the playoff race there in the north division battling with uh, rochester and uh, a bunch of other teams and Columbus is going home in April, right? And I think the worst thing for a player, any player really, especially a young developing prospect, is to go home in April. I mean, you, you need to play, you need to play big games somewhere. And you know, sometimes that's the World Championships, or uh, sometimes it's the AHL, right? And uh, you know, if if Cleveland could get in, that gives Sillinger an opportunity. Um, especially two where like most likely Cleveland would be in one of those best of three series to open the playoffs. So right off the bat, you're facing some real pressure. But Patty, think, there is a hierarchy too, right? Barchenko wasn't assigned. There is. Yeah. So I'm just saying my point is sure. Development's good. But I, I would say that the message is also to Sillinger. Like, you know, you got work to do. Sure. Yeah. I mean, he's 19 years old. I mean, I would, you know, I don't know too many 19 year olds who I would say are a finished product anyway. I was perfect um, at 19. <laughs> me too. But, um, <laughs> you might, you know, there, there's certainly sides of his game that you work on. And uh, like you said, it hasn't been a great year for him. He only has you know, a handful of goals. So if nothing else, you can go down to Cleveland and get some confidence and, you know, you're not, you're not fighting it like you are at the, the NHL level. I mean, I think, what you, what you really want to avoid with him and really any young player in that situation is where he's 19 years old. It's a losing environment in Columbus and that, that confidence level just gets beaten down. And before you know, you have a player, you know, he's 20, 21 years old and, and you know, all of a sudden, like he's not the player that you, you drafted. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a smart move on Columbus's part. Um, 
you know, maybe if Cleveland doesn't go very far in the playoffs, maybe he then goes, plays the world championship. Uh, you know, that's another option for you, right? Like the more hockey you can play high level hockey at, at this time of year. I mean, I can't tell you how many GMs have told me that, you know, the Calder cup playoffs essentially yeah. in terms of, uh, skill and pressure and everything would be equivalent to like an NHL regular season game. Uh, Absolutely. Just level of intensity. So, Hey, it's a chance to get that much more opportunity rather than what are you, what are you going to go home and do? Right. Like go in the gym in April, right? Like players are going to work out for so long. Right. And you know, so this is another chance for him to, to work on some things. Another interesting player that's coming down is Quinton Byfield. Absolute yeah. horse right now in the NHL. He was, you know, he did exactly what he needed to do when he went down to Ontario this year. Yeah. Regain the confidence, get to the slot more, use his big body, get comfortable doing the things that he's supposed to do in the NHL. And now he's he's an impact player in LA. So here's the thing. If if LA gets out and Ontario's still in, it's a massive boost you're getting with Quentin Byfield, hey? Sure. Absolutely. I mean... That, that Ontario team is, I think they're they're a scary team, right? If things fall a certain way for them, yeah, you'd also be getting um, uh, Rasmus Kupari as well, um, right? So, yeah, back to back first round, or you know, not back to back, but you know, you know, recent first round picks um, that you could be inserting into that lineup in Ontario. Uh, already a lineup that is is pretty potent, uh, both in terms of prospects and also you have like we were talking about this uh, TJ Tynan, like a Top top tier veteran, uh, mm-hmm. back back MVP in this league, um, yeah. So you 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 put all the that those elements together. I mean, that could be a team. I wouldn't want to face them uh, in the playoffs. That being said, it can be difficult um, arrangement sometimes where you're bringing players in, uh, kind of parachuting them into the roster for the playoffs and. Uh, Lines get out of sync. Uh, yeah, players that have been in the lineup now are sudden suddenly on the sidelines. So that that can be a, a delicate uh, situation to manage. Uh, so you know there are pluses and minuses that if you're if you're LA and Ontario, you have to consider. But I think yeah, if you can add a a Byfield and, and a Kupari, I mean, I mean Byfield, like you said, I mean absolute you know big body forward. I mean Weapon. he could be a force in the playoffs. He's gonna be a great player. Another move that I really liked was so Toronto traded Dryden Hunt for Redim Zahorna, and I love that move. Toronto is, of course, known for always stacking the Marlies with good talent. I love Zahorna. I love his game. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, he didn't work out with him with the Flames, who played him off waivers in Pittsburgh at the end of the year. Big body, six foot six center, good player in the AHL. I think it's sort of the perfect move that Toronto needs, given that they just lost Adam Gaudet, who was sort of their pillar um, through that Ryan O'Reilly deal. Yeah, the Marlies, you know, the Marlies trying to low-key have gotten hit pretty hard, you know, uh, through yeah. different moves, uh, you know, to benefit the Leafs. I mean, Abramoff, uh, you know, Joey Anderson, uh, Golden Left, uh, like you said, Gaudet. So, yeah, this is some help. Uh, you know, obviously, Costin Dryden Hunt, who at this level is a real solid player uh, and was well-liked uh, in a little bit of time it was with the Marlies. But, um, yeah, good good move, I thought, right? Like, you know, Zohorna, I think if you can plant him right there in the uh, – Mill the ice there. I mean, that's a great, great setup. I won't be surprised to see the Marlies make some moves here going into the Before HL the deadline. HL deadline? Yeah. Because, I mean, this is a team that's, you know, I mean, they're very safe for the playoffs. They're 18, 20 points ahead. Uh, so that's not an issue. But, you know, you got to be, you, you got to get those playoffs 
you're, you've got to get your young players some action in the playoffs and, and go go a little ways. You don't want to just go in there and be there for three games yeah. and go home. Like, make it worth your while. Totally. So Marley's, as we know, are always active, always – they're always kind of turning over uh, every rock they can find to see what they might you know, be able to you know, acquire. And I, I, I would expect them. I'd be very surprised, let me put it that way, if they don't do something. Two more quick honorable mentions. Jacob Pelche of the Calgary Flames was also Peter transactioned and also Phil Tomasino. Not a friend of the show, but we, I think we mentioned him every show. So those are two key guys in the West that could really propel their respective clubs. And given the Flames and the Predators are outside the playoff picture, those two guys in particular are pretty interesting to watch and could be of impact right away. Let's get to our prospect of the week, though, and that is Luke Evangelista. We talked about him, too, a couple of times as well. We should be the Nashville affiliate. We, we talk about them so much. And we're actually not paid by the Predators, in case you were wondering. But the Nashville 2020 second-round pick has taken a big leap forward this year. 21 years old, right wings, the midst of his first pro season, 41 points in 49 AHL games. He caught fire recently, recording 11 points in his last 12 AHL games, earned an NHL recall on February 28th. Monday night, he pawed two goals against Vancouver. Um, so he's now at three points in, in four games, playing alongside Matthew Shane and Tommy Novak last night, or, or Monday night, rather, sorry. Really big step for him. I'm just curious, you know, someone, you know, Pat, you you mentioned him off the hop from, from this year as kind of someone you were intrigued by. What have you made of his development this season and, and what we're seeing now at the upward trajectory? Well, you know, it does feel like we talk about Nashville a lot, but you know, it's for good reason, right? Like they have a good crop of prospects there in Milwaukee. Uh, and yeah, I, I think eventually it would be right at the top of that list. I mean, the thing that, you know, I, and I spoke with him, I, I spoke with Carl Taylor, another person we discussed quite a bit. And, you know, I think for Evangelista too, like last year in London, it was a big year for him, obviously his fourth year junior, but also he was the captain, right? And people roll their eyes sometimes about that, but like that's taken on a lot of responsibility. Um, and it, it, it's the situation where a player now, he's not just thinking of his own game. He's thinking of the, the team's game uh, collectively. And I, you know, I spoke to Evangelista, you know, we got into that a little bit and, you know, he, he felt it was a big, big boost in his development and he gave him that confidence that when he came in this year pro that he was, you know, I think he, you know, he walked a little bit taller. And, uh, you know, so you come into Milwaukee and like, you know, you already had that, that, you know, that experience, that maturity, um, you know, he was already, I mean, he was, I won't say he was a finished product, but he was, you know, he was almost there mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, certainly with working with, like, like I said, Carl Taylor, you know, you have to, you know, you know, sand down a few rough edges in his game, but I mean, he, he had the two way game down pretty well. So. He's been a real, real positive spot there. What's his NHL timeline? I'll be surprised if he's not a full-timer next year. Um, you know, I think probably at some point he comes back to Nashville or to Milwaukee, gets a good playoff run in. I, Milwaukee, sure. I think, can go, they, they, they can do some damage in the playoffs this year. Um, they look pretty formidable. Uh, now they will, you know, they'll run into Texas. They'll run into a much better Rockford team possibly, but – uh, the Moose are always, you know, they're always hanging around. But, you know, I think Milwaukee can at least go a few rounds, if not further. Uh, so you get that experience in, go go home, have a great summer in terms of uh, your training. Uh, I think he'll be he'll be right there, ready to compete for a full-time spot next year. Let's move on to our next topic, and that's about the Edmonton Oilers. And they're keeping their AHL affiliate in Bakersfield. You spoke with, with Keith Gretzky recently. 
um, as well for a story that's due to come out soon. And just for context, folks, Edmonton's AHL affiliate is in Bakersfield, California. Not an easy commute, you know, and, and, and as the, the league has evolved, the AHL, it's more and more common to have the minor league team closer. Stockton, uh, which is, was Calgary's affiliate, is now in Calgary. They've got everything under the same umbrella. But Edmonton's keeping their current arrangement. What's the four and one on that, Pat? Yeah, so, you know, and, you know, obviously, like, you know, it's it's become a, 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 a not even a trend, it's almost become a, a the norm. Uh, to have your affiliate close to home, Calgary obviously being one of the most recent examples. And a lot of that was, I think, exacerbated too, like during the pandemic where the border became a major issue for teams, moving players back and forth. And that kind of, I think, accelerated what was already probably going to happen eventually. Like, so Vancouver was in Utica uh, for, I believe it was nine years. That was a difficult setup, right? Like, so you're, you're three time zones away. Edmonton going to Bakersfield was part of that 2015 shift to the West Coast. And that was a huge step forward for the Western Conference teams in the NHL to get that. I mean, that took years to make that happen. Um, right. Bakersfield, you know, so I talked with Keith Gretzky, who's the, uh, the AGM uh, in Edmonton, also the GM for, for the Condors. And, you know, it's he admits it's not an ideal setup in that sense. Geographically, you're... You're a long ways away from, from Edmonton. But if you look at where the, they are in the league map, for the AHL-wise, they're near San Jose, Ontario, Coachella Valley, San Diego. Henderson is not that far away. Right. Uh, Colorado's a, a direct flight away. Uh, and then you can shoot up to uh, Abbotsford and Calgary. And even getting your players back and forth uh, to and from the Oilers, um, you can get them through you know, a couple of different options. One connection, get them to Edmonton. He said, you know, like but if same we call day player, call up, Pat are nearly impossible now. What's that? Aren't same day call-ups nearly impossible under that? Like, remember when Vancouver, as you said, had a cross-country or cross-continent affiliate? The yes. same day recalls were nearly impossible. Well, it was it was impossible if they were going from the NHL yeah. team because you're losing three hours going to the east. Now right. you would gain three hours going the other the opposite sure. way. Uh, so, you know, we, we actually, Gretzky and I sketched out a little bit of a scenario. So like, say the Oilers need a player, right? You know, seven o'clock in the morning, somebody wakes up and they, they trip and fall and they need a player that day. So you can put a call into Bakersfield, uh, get a player on, uh, on a flight early morning, uh, probably go through San Francisco, get them up to Edmonton by early afternoon. So it's doable. It's not, um, it's not impossible. It definitely, you know, we require, require some logistical uh, uh, finessing, but the main thing is when you're, when the player is in the AHL, like, you know, a lot of overnight uh, trips, you know, you're back home same night. Um, you know, you, you're getting tons of practice time. Uh, you're not putting your players on the road for, you know, 10, 14 days at a time, uh, having them sitting in airports, that sort of thing. So, you know, there, there are trade-offs and, and what they like to in, in Bakersfield is, the city works really well with them in terms of, uh, you know, so they're the main tenant at their arena. So you're getting practice time, you know, when you want it, you're, you're getting prime dates and they, and they like the fan support. And that's a big part too. Like, you know, if you're going to play in Edmonton, right. You're going to be, you know, every night, you know, a full building there. They, they don't want players playing in an empty building in Bakersfield. Right. And, and, or wherever. And then going to the, 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 uh, the NHL. So they like the fan support in Bakersfield. And just one last note here. I mean, I think also, I wonder too, if Edmonton sees, because they, they own Bakersfield. 
Yes. If they see, okay, if this team comes here, it's going to dilute our market with the Oil Kings and um, Oilers. I don't know, but does, I don't know if Edmonton has another arena where they could put the Oil Kings temporarily because that's what the, the, the Hitmen do. They don't. So, yeah. so Edmonton doesn't. So if that's their closing down. Yeah, that's not an option. So that's not an option. So that's yeah. also important to keep in mind. And, you know, Bakersfield, I think they're a bit below league average attendance. I think it's just a hair under 5,000 a game. They have good gate revenue. Probably makes sense. In a lot players, of le- players like it too. Like he said, it's a good place to recruit, like some of your veteran guys. And that's you know, an advantage. It's good cost of living, good, uh, sure. you know, good weather, you know. So it's it's a it's a good setup that way, and, and you know the travel's not too bad. So they they you know his quote was, "We make it work, right?" And mm-hmm. you know, like a lot of that talk of uh, them putting the team at Edmonton, that was you know I, I asked him about that, and he's like, it never really got to that point. You know, like that was more sort of speculation driven than anything that they they went through. They they like it there. They put a lot of money into the building there. Um, and it's one of those things that works for both sides. And um, Keith likes the beach. It's all there. <laughs> well, you're not really near the beach. It's it's more of uh, it's more in more of a pool guy. Yeah. But you are only a couple hours from LA, so that's another option too, right? Like if you have to get players, you know, really short notice, you can. Uh, car service and down to LA and then LA is like the third busiest airport in the world. So you're, you can go anywhere direct from there. Good point. Team of the week this week, New York Rangers. Hartford's an interesting case. They seem to owe, I mean, not just Hartford, New York as a whole, they're starting to develop a bit of a rap for not developing their prospects and particularly forwards. Um, but there's, you know, somewhat of encouraging signs happening this year. Before we get to the forwards, I want to get to Zach Jones first. I really like Zach Jones, and I know that maybe I'm saying it like I sound surprised, but I don't know. I just would have thought he would have been an NHL regular by now. He He's played in 16 games with him this year. His size is going to be a concern because he's 5'10", and I think that might limit a couple things. But from what I've seen, and I'm just kind of watching when I go watch clips on Instat data, I like his instincts. I like his mm-hmm. moving. What, what's the What's the holdup with him? It's a tough lineup to break into. Log I, I think jump, that's you know? the latest thing, right? Like, right. you know, I mean, the New York Rangers are a bona fide cup contender. They're going for it. Uh, uh, Not much room for error. You know, like, yeah. And that's a tough That's a tough situation to drop a, a young defenseman into, right? And, like, you know, you're, you're walking a delicate line. Like, you know, sure, you want to give them opportunities, but you also don't want to put them in a situation maybe they're not 100% ready for and, uh, and risk a player's – you know, development being set back that way. So um, that's where, you know, like you, you see sometimes like, you know, they'll bring in like, you know, like uh, uh, Nico Mikola, you know, like in that uh, St. Louis deal, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, players that they can plug in for right now, like he's, he's a good option for the moment. You know, Matthew Robinson is another guy in Hartford, you know, another young defenseman. Um, I think overall, so I, I spoke with Ryan Martin, who's the GM in Hartford. Um, he came over from Detroit. Right. And he was with Grand Rapids in Detroit for, for like 15 years. That's kind of the model of the model, one of the top, top models. Right. right. And, and he's, you know, I spoke with him. He's what they're trying to do is they're trying to bring import a lot of that into Hartford. Uh, it's been a real trouble spot uh, for the Rangers. Mm-hmm. So, the, I mean, the Wolfpack haven't made the playoffs since 2015. Wow. Which is so we're going on eight years now. And that's an elite where, you know, now 23 teams of 32 make it. Right. And, you know, and it's not even just making the playoffs. It's you want to, your guys playing meaningful games down the stretch. You don't want sure. your season over by January or February, right? And you're just kind of 
we've seen teams like that, right? Like mm-hmm. we've all been around, we've all covered teams where teams out of the race with two or three months to go in the season. And it's just like, <laughs> you know, it's like dead man walking in terms of like, you know, players and guys are going off on their own page and it's, yeah. it can be real bad. No, no, for sure. So, you know, so Hartford and, and the Rangers, you know, like they were really active this past week at the NHL deadline. They brought in a lot of help um, for the Wolfpack. They want them in the playoffs this year. They want those guys going to run. And yeah, I thought it sent a great message to, to, to your players in Hartford. That, sure. Like, hey, you know, we're going to give you help. We're not just going to kind of let you, um, you know, sink or swim. And, you know, last year it was a tough, tough uh, stretch for, for the Wolfpack. They, uh, they were in a playoff spot going into March and they just, they really uh, struggled down the, down the uh, last six weeks of the season and ended up missing altogether. So um, yeah, you want your players in there. You, again, like, like with Sillinger in Cleveland, you don't want your guys going home in April. You want them playing meaningful hockey. You want them like get, get that experience. I mean, we've all seen players who go through that and like the improvement in their game sometimes, like from like you know April, even to May, never mind to June can be, you know, really significant for sure. And as you kind of touched on Matthew Robertson, second round pick in 2019, very promising player as well. Six foot three has been able to put up points this year, 21 in 52 games, another promising piece, but the forwards, Willie Cooley, gosh, this guy is just on a heater. So, so in the first, um, you know, 19 games of the year, he like seven points. Now he's got 25 in his last 33. Most of those are even strength. His first HL year, if you want to count it was in the, the pandemic year. Then it was kind of irrelevant. And then, you know, yeah. last year was back in the O and he's back in the A and something, you know, there's, there's a, a switch that's been flipped because he he's on a heater right now. Yeah. Like he's just playing with that, like that confidence that like I belong here. Right. Like, it's not just like, Oh, I'm, I'm kind of tested. Which isn't easy to get. Right. It's not right. Like this league, especially for young players, it can eat them up early in their career. Right. And that's where, you know, you really have to be careful with managing young players and that, especially that first half of their rookie season. Right. Like you said, he did play that, that little uh, bit in the pandemic year. And, you know, I, I spoke with him about that and that was helpful in the sense just to get your feet wet, but you know, going from 18 to 20 years old, I mean, it's a huge difference. Right. And, and then the league, you know, the pandemic year was just, it was what it was. Right. And, um, you know, so him now he's, you know, he's one of the guys in Hartford now. I'm like, this is, this would be a great situation for him if he can get in the playoffs. Cause I think he's built for the playoffs, right? Like he's, Hard nose forward, uh, go to the net. He'll do all those things. Like he's built for playoff hockey, um, and yeah, I'm excited to see what Hartford can do because, yeah, these guys need they 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 need to get that that uh, you know that streak broken. I think it's just they've had such a tough run for a long time there in Hartford, uh, and it eventually it comes back to to you know if you're the NHL club, it comes back to bite you, right? Like you need well, to have they that. Want to spend, sure. yeah. They want to spend yeah. the blue shirt. Yeah. And they should. They want to spend. Well, in, in terms of, in turn, you have to then be productive at the HL level and make good value. Try to balance that because, yeah. like, you're not going to be able to go out and get those, uh, you know, those guys that maybe won 1.5 million. Sure. Um, because you you need you need young talent that can come in and play league minimum. So, it's it's a it's a definite balancing act. Uh, but I think uh, I think they're figuring it out in Hartford. I really like what Ryan Martin has in place there. And Martin's would be following the Grand Rapids model, which, and we said this, but they long over would overbake their guys, right? They yes. had players there for a long, long time. Something that a lot of coaches talk about. Um, and yeah, easier think, said than done. 
You know, the, right. the temptation yeah. is but, always there to call a player up. But you know, the one thing I would say is what's encouraging if you're a Rangers fan is that you have a Ryan Martin there because in the past, I think that they were bringing these young guys up too quickly, put them down too quickly, and the elevator wasn't working. So yeah. this is probably more promising in that regard. But that is all for this week, folks. Thank you again to Seth Appert. Beauty of a guy. Great conversation. Love to hear just about what's going on with Buffalo, one of the most exciting young teams in the league. Thanks to Pat for putting up for me, putting up with me, oops, um, for 30 minutes as usual, even though he's contractually obliged. And for listeners, thank you for listening, and we'll see you guys next week.